Oh, oh, hang on. We can't start. I got the wrong, got the wrong audio. Ugh. One. Two. Okay, now, now I think I might have the right audio. You might have the right audio now, yes. Now, now I can hear you. I, uh, I'm I'm already Don, I'm already hesitating. I'm already <laughs> this, this this uh this new uh you know multi-episode arc of of guests you know it's i'm already uh, i'm already nervous and let me tell you but here's here's the thing ben uh, it's what the fans want okay it's what they're demanding this Uh, they're demanding this this yes they're demanding this i won't say anymore well so so i i need to um I, I didn't, I, I'm really trying not, I'm not to spoil anything here. And, and I feel like I did a good okay. job because I got a notification in my email um, about uh, 15 minutes ago that oh. says, yep, Zoom. And it said uh, somebody had joined my meeting and, and the three, there, there are three, I'm not sure whether they are um, Chinese or Japanese characters but uh-huh. that, it says the, the, that the, those three characters have joined my meeting. And okay. Don, well, the, the, in what? the chat now, um, this person says to it's us, Chinese. it is Chinese. See, go, okay, so good, good. So so here's the, I didn't take those characters. I thought about it, Don. Translating and them? Guests. Yes, <laughs> I, I thought about cutting and pasting this and foiling the the surprise. Oh, but you, but you, you, I, you don't I, think that our guest is foolish enough to use characters that would give you a hint, do you? I, I mean, I've not, I've not uh, done this either. I'm about to do it. Um, right, right. Don't but, do it. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you, you, you do it. I didn't know if it was maybe this like random hint. Maybe it was something like I don't, I don't know. And and the yes, so so I didn't do that, but I will tell you something that I know about our special guest without even uh-huh. having to ask a question. Okay, and that is, does our special guest like to be prompt and or early? And the answer is yes, because well, uh, I mean, based on one on on one on one observation. Yes, I would on say one yes. observation. <laughs> yes, yes, on one one current data point. Um. So, and, uh, and you know what, what really, all right, so let's, let's start the, let, let, let's start making Ben feel uncomfortable. Here we go. Um, Don, does, does our special guest have a voice that I would recognize? I don't, I don't think so. Special oh. guest, why don't you, why don't you speak up? Hello. Oh no. Okay. So here, there, all right. Welcome special guest. So I get to um narrow this down so i get to ask our special guest questions directly not through you is that is that correct don i i I think so i i'll i'll editorialize if i feel i need to okay okay um special guest um are you uh do, do you exist in the food safety space uh, um this is a difficult question yes i okay. wouldn't say directly but indirectly yeah okay yeah okay. well let me let me let me ask let me ask a clarifying question um special guest are you a member of the international association for food no, protection i am not okay 
Um, Help, I'm I'm helping you out, Ben. Thank you, you. Thank out. you. That was yes. That was that was helpful. Special special guest. Um, are the three Chinese characters a, a hint? It is not. It's actually quite embarrassing. My partner is taking Zoom Chinese classes, and even though I am Chinese, these three letters are actually like the fake name that the Chinese class gives you when you're a white man entering the Chinese class. So it actually doesn't mean anything. It's just a fake name. But doesn't mean white man entering Chinese class. That is not the. <laughs> it is not a specific signa- uh, signature for that. No, it's just a, a random name that they chose and gave my okay. partner when he started attending Chinese class. Oh, Even though I am Chinese, he's learning Chinese for to be able to speak with me in my native language. But that's not it's not it has no real significance. Perfect. Good, good. Well, th- th- that's good because it's not like throwing me down a, a a pathway. I can eliminate that as as anything that that I need to ask about. Um, are you um so, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my 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 first question or maybe second question about the existing in the food safety space. So, are you um, do you do you do things in the world of food, and and that might include like culinary. It might include working or producing a food item. Or yeah, so that because it's yes or no questions. So do you do, does your does your job involve food? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Um. Do you are um. Does your job? Oh, maybe this is see. This is the part that that Don loves, where I end up going too far down a path, or I get very close, and then I go somewhere else. Um. So are you, um, do you, do you listen to our podcast? Yes. Okay. Um, good. Excellent. <laughs> that's, a, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, did you, st- did you find us because of your interest in food or did you know either of us before <laughs> um i discovered the podcast before i met either okay. of you okay yes. okay good um were you looking were you looking for a food safety podcast or did you listen to another podcast that led you to us i listened to another podcast okay okay um Doing good, Dan. I must say, I think you're getting better at this. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, not nine times a charm or what, whatever they say. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, are you? Um, do you work in the in the restaurant industry? Um, I would say food service. Okay, food service yeah. industry. Okay. Um, do you, have you uh, have we interacted over over Twitter? at all no okay we have not have you have you interacted with dawn over twitter not that i and not that i'm a lurker and follow all dawn's conversations <laughs> i don't think so maybe okay. tangentially but yeah. yeah i don't i i, I think the answer is no right okay. i don't right. i don't think so we're, we're not we're not like we don't t- tweet back and forth with yeah. each other yeah okay. okay yeah um do you do, do you have a podcast that 
I do not. Okay, because it's always the other go-to question of, of this, because sometimes it's someone else who has a podcast. Um, would I, um, have we, have Don and I talked about you or your business or the thing you do in food service specifically on the podcast? Um, I think what it has been, I have been discussed on both this podcast and on Risky or Not. Oh my gosh. But not necessarily the, my food, food service career. Right, okay. Yes. Good. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good hint. Um, yes. <clears throat> it, it might make it worse for me. Um, all right. Um, did you did you have a question for us on risky or not? Or yes. Or, okay. Okay. Good. Yes. And we answered, answered it. Not just yes. uh, you had a question and we ignored it, but we actually answered it. Okay. Um. Was it was your question about something that you do as part of your food business in food service or part of something that you do in your in your personal life? Yes, it's part of my hobby. Part of your hobby. Part of your Excellent. Um, is your hobby related to a specific food technique? Um, like a cooking technique? Yeah, or yeah like a cooking technique. technique. It yeah. is not about a cooking technique. Okay. Is it about like a food preservation technique? I would say no. Okay. Yeah, I think no. Yeah. Um, huh. See, now, here's what, what you, you don't know, special guest, what I'm doing, is I am looking mm. at, I'm, I'm <laughs> seriously scrolling through 264 <laughs> um uh, rows of a Google sheet that catalogs all of our risk or not <laughs> questions. And so now, now it's like, <laughs> which I'm not sure it's helping me right now. Um, because I I'm, I'm going to be asking questions like, do, do, do you cut mold off of hard cheese or do you, are you, you know, like, did you try to reboil soup? Which I, it, anyway, don't, don't answer either of those questions because okay. it's not going to help me. Um, are you, so, um, so you mentioned and not, not to get too OPSEC or, or anything um, specific, but are you, you mentioned that you're, that you're Chinese and that your partner is not Chinese. Um, are you, do you live in the U.S.? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't know how that's going to help me. Uh, <laughs> um, did you, uh, did you ask a question about pizza? I did not. <laughs> and the reason why I asked that is because we have answered multiple questions about mm -hmm. pizza and it would live. It's a cat. It's a category of risky or not that lives on its own. I of think. course. Of course. Yes. Um, do Don Don? Is there any hint that you can give me? Well, I, I think you were you were you were you were making progress when you when you were when you were figuring out 
um, like how they found the podcast. Right? Okay. And that was good. Um, there's obviously a food uh, connection that's their hobby, which is a really nice way to phrase that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I see that. That's I think important. so sort of, sort of figuring out, figuring out like how they found their way to us. And then also figuring out more about that hobby. I think those are, those are going to be fruitful angles for you. Yes. You, Randomly guessing podcast episodes. Not, it's not, well, I mean, it's, it's going to be 264 questions. Um, well, and I think, you know, I think the other thing I would say too is you've established that this person and I don't really communicate on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but exploring. Oh, oh, oh yeah. wait. Oh, <laughs> did I give it away? I yeah, gave I think, it away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yes. So you have you and, and Don corresponded over uh, a discord server. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, did you have a question uh, that, that I never maybe followed up on? Cause I'm terrible about, um, uh, uh, um, farmers markets and yeah, under, yeah. yes, yay! I think I did yay. it. Under, yeah, um, underserved uh, and um, marginalized populations and 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 food safety and inspection. Did yes. I sort of catch? Yes, I did it. Yes, I totally, me. I totally can't remember your name, but I'm very excited that you're here to, <laughs> to for for us to talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sh should I introduce myself now? I, I feel yeah, like please, I did this. Please, right? yeah. please. Yes. yes, I think that this was your best one yet, Ben. <laughs> it was very good. It, it really hit all the notes. Oh, um, so my name is Jess, and I am a coffee roaster in Bloomington, Indiana, for a coffee shop called Hopscotch Coffee. Um, and I know Dawn through being a member of the, the Cool Ranch Discord server. Um, which I think has been mentioned um, here and there on both this podcast and on Risky or Not. Um, the two ways folks might know me is one through an episode of Risky or Not, where I asked about um, how to preserve 27 pounds of feta. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I, oh. <coughs> yeah, yeah, because okay. one of my hobbies is dumpster diving. And there are many situations in my life where I run into coming across a large quantity of food that I'm not sure if it's safe to keep around or not. Um, yeah. That, and then my other time that I think I was mentioned on the podcast was talking about how my, my work with um, local marginalized communities with um, establishing cottage food laws that are equitable for ethnic food as well as like regular more <laughs> white people food widely, yeah, wide, <laughs> widely considered you know regular cottage food law you know items so yeah yeah oh awesome well thanks for joining us jess this is awesome um yeah thanks so, for having me. oh my gosh i've got i have so many questions i don't know if this is what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> well, if what the plan was, Don. Um, oh, I, it's, it's, no, yeah. let me let me explain. Okay, so um, basically, there was essentially, I would say, open revolt on the server. That how dare I have Casey Liss on? Uh, why not have someone like Jess on? Yes. And so I felt like to to basically 
get them to put down their pitchforks and and torches i said okay fine we'll have jess on the show and i mean obviously jess has you know has given us you know 27 pounds of unrefrigerated unrefrigerated feta cheese to talk about but also because i'm i'm really interested in the work that they do um on like like this this whole idea of dumpster diving and and i mean i'm just i'm just really interested in in what it in jess's world of food and and the things the things that they, they do right in that world and and I, I just i just figured they'd be a great guest so yeah absolutely just they so i would like to talk about about so many things so so i i guess like uh here here's the 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 list of things that that um i hope we get to here um as we talk i, I certainly want to talk about dumpster diving i want to i really want to know more about how you how you got into it i really actually want to talk about coffee roasting as well oh, yeah, of um and no way now knowing that that that's um that's also what you do and then i i certainly want to want to do um a, a, a deep dive no no pun intended um but on <laughs> on cottage food laws and and your your advocacy um in in that area and the and the you know, stuff that that you'd asked about that i'd never followed up on and, and i apologize <laughs> for that um but oh, and I will I will say, Ben, just to spoil the surprise a little bit, um, uh, like it, hopefully Jess is not a stalker because she has both of our home addresses because um, uh, they've mailed us some uh, coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so expect well, some coffee. Well, OK, I will I, I will I will look for that. Um, so how did you so I, I talked a little bit about this on um, on food safety talk uh, you know, over the last little while. Um, since returning to my office in August, uh, on a semi-daily basis, usually it's like four days a week. I stop at this at this restaurant, not um, coffee shop, um, called Cup of Joe, and um, and they roast their own beans there. They've got a like you, as you drive down um, Hillsborough Street, which is the the main road that connects main campus to my building. There, there's like plumes of roasting smoke when they're when they're roasting and it's really like i mean you can you can smell it for i don't know like five or six blocks but how did so how did we can start there how did you get into that like how did you become a coffee roaster yeah it was like you know just i i like applied to be a barista at my local coffee shop after i um had a quite fruit fruitless job hunting era during COVID. Um, so I just wanted to work in as a barista and it was really fun. And when they had an opening, it, it's like a hipster third wave coffee shop, right? So, and that they roast their own coffee. And obviously um, as a person who really likes cooking and um, food and like that, the production aspect of it, I thought it was, it would be cool to um, learn how to roast and they yeah. let me. And then, you know, my, existing manager quit. So I became the head roaster for our shop. So, yeah. Cool. That's cool. That's, that's really awesome. And what, like, what does that entail? What, what, I mean, are you, are you involved with sort of selecting beans and then it, like experimenting on time and temperature for roasting? Is it, is it, is it standard? Like what, how does that, th this is like all the part of food science that I, I don't, I don't have any background in, but I find it really 
fascinating because I, I, as a coffee consumer, and this is something that, um, that really came up, I think for me as well over, you know, over the pandemic when, when I was not going to buy coffee, um, like, like pre, you know, lattes and made, made coffee, uh, as, as much as possible because I was staying at home, I, I started like investigating, you know, different ways to make coffee and then investigating the different profiles of beans. And so I just don't know, I don't know anything about that, like world of, of how do you, you know, is it, is it like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try this type of roast, um, profile for specific types of beans and how does that all how does that all work? Sorry, this is not probably yeah. what you thought you were going to talk about, but no, but I'm fascinated by this. Fine. It's <laughs> definitely very cool and definitely not something that I knew anything about before I entered the world, even though I was a big coffee consumer before I it became my job. Um, but for basically all we follow, there are like different schools of thoughts in coffee roasting of what kind of what like creates a good cup of coffee, right? And um, the guy that whose theories that we follow is named Scott Rao. And he's like one of the most influential third wave coffee roasting um, people in the business. And what he wants is what he says creates a good well-roasted coffee bean is to um, take the bean from a raw green dried bean to roast it as fast as possible while spending around one fifth of that time in um, what they call first crack stage. So, so a coffee bean has water and even though it's dried, it has some water and um, some gases within the bean. And when it gets heated up and the water and gas expands, it kind of cracks the bean kind of like how corn pops into popcorn. It's basically just like popcorn, but with coffee kernels <laughs> instead of corn kernels. Um, so it, you know, it, we, we want about one fifth of the total time of roasting to be spent within that stage where it's cracking and developing its um, flavor. So basically you, you know, our shop sources um, mostly fair trade and direct trade beans from all over the globe. We um, get samples from the distributor that we work with. I personally roast and taste all of them and see what kind of what kind of roast profiles work best for each kind of bean. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what, I, yeah. I, I wanted to ask a question, but then I typed it into Google and I think I have the answer now. <laughs> I did not know. I did not know third wave of coffee was a thing. No, me either. I want um, yeah. Tell us more about it. But, but according to Wikipedia, it's a movement in coffee marketing, emphasizing high quality, which I mean, how yeah. could you not be in favor of that? <clears throat> yeah. I think in the past, people are really interested in these like coffee blends and just like coffee as like a way of getting caffeine into your body. Whereas nowadays there's a lot more coffee shops that are focusing on single origin beans that are roasted to the peak of their quality instead of, you know, making everything dark roast and more uniform, right? And it's focusing on creating ethical relationships with mm -hmm. um, the coffee growers, which is like obviously a very important aspect. It's not like, you know, the, the coffee business has tons of inequities inherent within it. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's the movement of creating, you know, coffee that's both delicious and equitable so oh that's, yeah. that's really cool this is yeah this is this is i mean fascinating and it's and it's something like i 
I've learned, and maybe it's not learned. I've, I've, I guess I've dabbled more into this um, over the last couple of years with just the the need to produce better coffee in my house. And I'm the only mm-hmm. coffee drinker here. So it's, I mean, for for better or, or for worse, right? Like in one sense, I, I can control, like however I want to make coffee, I make coffee, right? Like uh, I don't have to think about someone else's taste profiles and and what what you know my um my, you know my partner's looking for or or my kids or anything like that but then also it's um it's sometimes a lot of I don't, it's not a lot of work but it takes it takes time to to do it and it's only for me right like it's yeah. i it yeah oh this is this is really cool one of the things that um, and so you mentioned you're um you know right now you're at hopscotch coffee in bloomington right that's the um yes. So one of the things I've really tried to do as we've done a little bit of travel over the last couple of years, and I've talked a little bit about it on Food Safety Talk, but we, we um, as a family, have gotten really into mountain biking. And as we travel to, I don't know, probably six or eight different places throughout the U.S. to mountain bike over the last couple of years, um, we, I'm always like trying to seek out um, coffee shops like what you know like what i can glean from the hopscotch website and then bring coffee beans back with me for for a variety of reasons one i I just think it's so important to support local businesses especially as like a tourist right like that that i don't i don't live in that community but but i benefit for the four days that i'm there so i really want to make sure that i'm I'm using my my spending dollars to support that for for others who live there and 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 travel there. But I also get these like you know it's 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 different. Like the it's not it's such a um wh- whether it's coffee I do the same thing for beer. Um, and I've over the last little while um done a little more with like spirits and and bourbon in the same way. It's like I just want to like get a a better. A better sampling of differences and yeah so anyway this is this is awesome thanks thanks for sharing all that jess this, yeah, this is super cool yeah and I'll, I'll just i'll just oh go ahead jess yeah one thing that i like to talk about with coffee i mean a lot of the issues that you were saying with how you're the only person who drinks coffee and it's really intimidating to in your family and it's really intimidating to delve into the world of understanding <laughs> coffee right I just think I do think that there's just like quite a bit of gatekeeping and like professionalization around the industry where like unless you're a really serious hobbyist you you know it takes so much effort to be able to understand and enjoy the product when it really is like really simple it's it's like such a simple and intuitive process um that like anyone can really get some green coffee and try to roast it at home. It's like not not that difficult, and you you could like have a further understanding of like sort of the process that it takes for you to get from you know the plant to your cup. So yeah, that's awesome. I yeah, I'm gonna I I'm gonna try I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give, take my take my hand at at this uh, um, a little bit, and it's even. You know, even at the start, like when I was trying to figure out, like, you know, Don and I for years have talked about um, like our coffee approaches and and Don got me hooked on AeroPress, um, or, you know, maybe eight years ago or something like that. And what I what I really moved into over the last couple of years is is just like a Chemex pour over 
kind of kind of approach, which is the I, for me, I think that's the it's the coffee that I enjoy the the most, like it, that I'm making at at home. And um, but it, it was like you mentioned gatekeeping. It was like there's no shortage of websites on how to make a great cup of coffee at home. That, but there, you know, the in in my experience in trying to see, search out this information, most of the websites that I was hitting were not you know, they weren't sort of trying to answer the question that I was trying to answer, which was, okay, I, I could, I can invest in this. What are the, what should I be investing in? What should I be looking at? I have time. I'm here in, in my home. Um, I'm going to be working from home for whatever amount of time. I'd like to, I'd like to figure out what, where I should be focused. And it was more like, oh, here are nine different products that you could yeah. use. And it was, it was hard to like fight through that. And I think, I mean, I ended up, um, like emailing a couple other podcasters who had talked about this on their podcast and being like, <laughs> what do you do for coffee? Cause like, give me, just write it down. And so that's kind of how I arrived at, at, at what I do, but it is, you're, I think you're exactly right. And I hadn't even thought about the, the roasting as a gate, like the gatekeeper aspect, even just making, just making top, making lots of things. I think we probably like Don and I exist in the, in the food world and food safety world. We probably take a lot of things that are granted in, in that area that, um, that there, there's probably a lot of like professional gatekeeping that happens around, you know, what kind of thermometer you should buy and, and that <laughs> as well. Well, yeah. Um, so I, okay. So this, uh, as, as I like, as Don likes to say, this is my podcast. Um, so Jess, how did you become a hobbyist dumpster diver and what, like, I guess, take us through that. Cause this is, I, I, we, we have certainly talked about this on, on the podcast and I've done interviews on it and I've thought about it quite a bit, but I can't say that I've ever spoken to someone who, who knows this world, who hasn't looked at it from a food safety standpoint, or, or is at least asking questions. Uh, so, so what, like, I guess, tell us a little bit how you got into it and what, what, it, what is it, what's dumpster, dumpster diving all about to you? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I um, became aware of this like loose activism um, movement called Food Not Bombs. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but basically um, it's a it's a movement where folks dumpster dive food and then cook it and serve it to like the unhoused population local to them once a week. It's like the most no strings attached type of um, like communal, uh, like gathering of people and you just like serve them food. And the whole point is that um, you, it, it, it's sort of like an, an anarchist political movement that is about um, like, you know, other people, churches might serve you food, but um, at the same time, like proselytize to you or um, going to a community kitchen might have other kinds of stigma attached to it. Whereas like, this is the most, you know, like, free and no strings attached way of sharing food with people in your community that um, you might not think about on a regular basis. So um, I that organization focuses a lot on dumpster diving and finding free local community resources to, you know, help them make their food. So I entered the world because um, I was interested in this organization and having a mentor for dumpster diving, I think is really important um, in that having someone who can lead you through the, your town to 
um, you know, look into what, what, what are the best spots, what kind of foods are safe and unsafe from a food safety perspective to um, gather. Uh, yeah. And from since then, I've just been dumpster diving pretty regularly, uh, like every week. And I still continue to do the free food service thing pretty much every week with my local community. So, wow. Yeah. That and, and is, um, do you like, are, are you, do you consume the, the food, uh, uh, you know, as well, yes. um, as part of that community? So it's like, we're, we're going to have, um, we're, we're, we're going to have a meal together, um, on this. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I find like some, some vegetables in the Kroger dumpster. I make it into a soup. I bring it to, um, some outdoor location where everybody just grabs a bowl and we enjoy like that. That's the whole like premise. So, yeah. so, so not, not, not to bring the conversation down, uh, but this is a podcast about food safety. Um, cool. have you ever gotten sick from dumpster diving chess? Um, I would say that one time there was one time where I got a frozen pizza out of the dumpster and four of us ate it and all four wow. of us got extremely sick. Um, oh, wow. Which I would not I, expect I, a frozen pizza to be yeah, the most high risk yeah. product. But no, I, no, it would be amongst the lowest risk. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more about this as this, <laughs> this is our world. So it was still frozen when you pulled it out of the, or it was still cool when you pulled it out of the dumpster or had yes. it. And okay. And then, and you just heated it up like, nor, like you would normally. Is that? Yeah. Wow. I think, um, so the top of the plastic was damaged, but Hmm. there was a, you know, like it has comes with a piece of paper with the logo on top and then like cardboard on the bottom. So even though the plastic was damaged, it was like, so (laughs) when you dumpster dive, you like try not to get to the bottom layer of stuff that's like soaked in the, (laughs) the dumpster juice from like, like liquids from food products, there's rain, you know, like you, you don't want to get that. So you, you, you move on, you, you try to only harvest things from the top. That's not like touching any of the, um, the dumpster itself. Right. Yeah. So this pizza was in the, I would say middle layer. So it wasn't like touching the bottom of the dumpster, but it also was not like on the very top, like clearly clean. Gotcha. So could have been dripped oh, on. Yeah, cross, cross, yeah, yeah, cross contamination from raw meat not, seems huh. like a possibility. Yeah. And I'm yeah. yeah, and even if you reheated the pizza, maybe if you handled it, depending on who handled the packaging, you know, it might have been cross contamination that way. But yeah, cool. I mean, not cool, but thanks for sharing <laughs> yeah. the story. Well, and so so for for this, um, are you are you harvesting sort of throughout the week? And then storing that food and then going to this communal spot to prepare it? Or are you preparing it in your home? Like, how does that, t- like, step us through all of this? Like, yeah. no. And then, and I want to come back to, like, finding a dumpster diving mentor and what you learned <laughs> from your mentor. Like, what you just already shared, right? Like, the stuff on the bottom is all dripped on. That Let's avoid that. Let's go with top layer and and maybe middle layer and assess it or, you know, those types of things. So anyway, yeah, what it, what's the whole, like, process look like? Yeah, if you live in a small enough town like I do, you are able to sort of suss out a schedule for when people are depositing things into the dumpster, right? So um, I know that my 
this is this is an interesting thing that I like to talk about, which is that the food bank dumpster is like one of the most lucrative hauls that we ever usually get because um, so people like like grocery stores, supermarkets will take their products and donate it to food banks sort of as like a tax write-off charity yeah. donation situation, but it was always it's almost always too close to expiration that they're unable to actually serve this to any of the people who need things from the food bank. So it ends up in the dumpster or sometimes it's just like really random stuff like um, like boxes and boxes of like pallets and pallets worth of cacao nibs or like essential oils that are not really things that you want to get when you go to a food bank. Um, those things also tend to end up in the dumpster after long enough. Um, so um, those things, yeah, you understand what their schedule is. So for example, the, our like local food bank doesn't work over the weekend. So you know that on Friday, they're going to throw out a lot of stuff that's about to expire or, um, you know, already has expired. Um, so you understand the schedule. So you have the best chance to get the freshest stuff and you, you know, obviously take more chances in the winter when it's cold outside and all the stuff is kept cold than in the summer when you don't like, even when something is in the dumpster for like two hours, you might not want, it's, it might not be worth it to go investigate. So um, having an understanding of that and then I take it home. If it's like a lot of times it's like a bag of oranges where one orange is rotten and all the rest of them are fine. So I would like process all of them so that I'm removing the obviously spoiled items um, and keeping the rest in like our pantry and our multiple free like chest freezers that we have in my house and my neighbor's house who I'd go dumpster diving with. Um, so that's basically, so I, I, I try to take care of the things that need to be taken care of immediately. But also since it's from the trash, I don't feel bad when it, goes bad um right right, right? Like, I, I don't have any sort of like food waste guilt for you know I forgot to take these strawberries that I found in the dumpster and process them immediately and frozen them so it, was, yeah. it already started off as waste right like yeah, like yeah. yeah yeah and and you're you're just trying to call the non-waste from something that was already dedicated to be waste yeah yeah no I, I totally totally agree and then so for for the items like um, you know, so you, you've got your, your day where, or, or, you know, scheduled time on, on the week, uh, where you're going to, to provide food to the un, unhoused community. Mm -hmm. And, and so is there like, do you prepare some of that raw meat beforehand and take oh. it? Is that like, how does that all work? I would say this is an important part. Um, I am, like freegan and oh, uh, all the yeah. food that we serve is vegetarian Got it. just because the risk of raw meat is way higher right so we try to not deal with any of it the only time when i will take meat is when it's in like a pre-packaged form like not like sometimes we we see meal kits yep garbage I'll, I'll like sort out the little like perfectly you know fro frozen like steak in the meal kit. Um, but even that is relatively rare because, you know, the, the food safety risk is pretty high, but also like, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that yeah, that's that's like fantastic. Is there an like a network of dumpster divers in your in your community? Like, do you are are there others that you that you see out there um, that are that are doing the same you know the same kind of thing at least on the harvesting? Um, and and do you you know do you kind of share like oh this is a good spot or this isn't a good you know what what does that look like? Yeah, all the time. Um, we So a lot of people who do dumpster dive are unhoused, but they're also the people who are at the highest, highest risk of um, getting run out by store employees, by restaurant owners or whatever. So usually like part of the idea is that I am a person with like a stable income and a house. So I am able to take that kind of risk um, instead of an unhoused person who might get arrested for um, trespassing for doing this activity, right? So right. Um, uh, for, there are just like, maybe I personally know about 10 to 15 people who are, we, this is also like a crunchy granola hippie town. Um, I just, so I, I feel like that is the context, but there are um, about a dozen of us who regularly dumpster dive, maybe like at least once a week and we um you know we we if there's a hall that's like clearly not like if i fill up my truck there will still be plenty left over i would like call on other people to also come by um yeah my neighbor and i we have we have like a specific relationship where we usually go together and we share like fridge and freezer space if one person doesn't have enough so yeah. Um, so one, I guess one other, like, um, I don't know, logistics question, uh, maybe here, um, as you're, you know, as, as you're doing this, what are the things that you're looking for from a food safety standpoint? Like, I mean, you already mentioned about sort of the liquid in the, in the bottom, but what, you know, when it, when it comes to, what what is too unsafe in your mind like what are the what are those indicators that you're looking for you know sort of step us through some of that yeah i usually like for produce i think like as a person with experience looking at produce brought away in my own fridge um i just use like my normal senses to figure out whether something um, is, is bad, right? Like you can easily tell if, and like, like a bell pepper is past its prime, Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So those things are relatively easy. Um, and then things like cheeses and dairy products, like yogurt, people, throw, they throw a lot of yogurt just because, um, they're like, they, they, they adhere so strictly to expiration dates, right? Like for packaged foods, checking the exp expiration date and like doing your own mental calculation of how far away was this and what kind of product is this? Would it be like dangerous to eat, right? So, you know, back salads and like yogurt, if you, if it's like two days past expiration, I will still take it. Um, but if it's, um, and although one time we got a bunch of vegan coconut yogurt that was not past its expiration date, but 
um I ate one and it was not good <laughs> it, it, it wasn't just not tasty but it clearly it like hurt my stomach and it, it wasn't like super intense but it definitely was not like peak quality so sometimes this this heuristic is not great but um, usually I do use the expiration date as one of my parameters for deciding whether or not to take it um yeah and then there are like dried goods or shelf stable products where even if it's way past expiration I will still take it um yeah those those are like the main things and frozen products I I, I think it's easy to tell when a frozen product is is good yeah yeah, yeah. well and and you mentioned before the like seasonality of this too right mm -hmm. like it's different if it's sitting out there in in a hot indiana sun in july compared to you know J january or february for sure um so can i go back to something that you mentioned before because i think this is something that's of interest for mm -hmm. for us um the did you say packaged salads like a couple of days past their expiration date is that yes yeah this so is yeah go yeah, ahead particularly <laughs> why i'm really i listen to food safety talk all the time is because part of knowing when something is okay to take is being up to date on like um you know food safety information in the world so that i know that if a salad kit is being recalled i check the brand and make sure that it's not one of the recalled ones and I, you know, make my decision based on that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, and that, that's one that, I, you know, I think we, you know, and Don, I'll get you to, to chime in on this too, but I think we struggle with this a little bit. Um, we, we've seen multiple recalls in the last few years for bag salad and salad kits. And in the, in some cases, I think we talked about this three or four episodes ago, the, the there's not a recall, but there's an announcement that there were, these products were linked to illnesses, but we're not going to do a recall because they shouldn't still exist in in homes. And um, and, and I it, one of the things that I'm a, a big proponent of is just sharing all of the information that's that's available out there. And, and I think that there is a, an assumption on the, uh, with local health departments, state health, there's state food uh, regulators, the federal um, food agencies, CDC as well about, well, if it's past its expiration date, it's not going to exist out there very long. And, and I, you know, I've been, I've certainly talked about um, this recently where it, there is no question that I've got stuff in my fridge that has pretty good quality attributes still in a bag of of leafy greens that are cut that I, that that sat there well past the use by date you know whatever whatever kind of day we want to want to want to say uh, it is and and I have a pretty good sense of the temperature control that I have in my refrigerator but I don't think that it's I don't think it's fair to make the assumption that that people wouldn't have use for you know pre-washed salad bag foods that are well past that that best buy date um and and, and so I think it's important that we're all like that's uh, that's on our radar that we're all kind of thinking about it and and in fact that that's one that with with that temperature 
control, there could be growth of, of pathogens in there over over time. And it's I, th- I think it's just like it's one that we that we struggle with. I don't know. Don, what do you what are your thoughts? Yeah, sorry. I I uh yeah, it's 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 to me it's just gratifying to know that as much as we dither and waffle and equivocate on this show, um that we still somehow we still are able to help Jess. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. And um so so have you Jess have you ever had and I'm going to assume that the answer to this is is yes. But have you had like bad experiences with business owners oh. or like, yeah? What what has that been like? Yeah, that's I wanted to ask that same question. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, I, it happens to me way more often during like furniture dumpster diving than food dumpster diving, huh. um, where if you go pull up to an apartment complex that's throwing out, you know, it's campus move out season and they're throwing away a bunch of furniture they'll yell at you for trying to sneak away a piece that looks nice but um it definitely is a risk um but like the most they can do for someone like us is just accuse us of trespassing and tell us to never come back again um you what what i do is i just don't um i don't personally immediately own up to the fact that I'm dumpster diving. Someone will ask like, what are you doing? And I will um, say something that may sound snarky, but definitely like works is like, what do you think I'm doing? Um, <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going for a walk. Yeah. What, do you <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. so, well, as long as you like, I think there are like some legal ways of like, what if you admit to doing it, it's worse. I, I don't know if this is I'm not a lawyer. Do not take legal advice for me. Um, I, I simply think that for me that works. And then I like just try to get in my car as fast as possible and then leave. So yeah. yeah. So so this is this is not this is not furniture safety talk, but I'm now wildly curious about furniture dumpster diving. Um, assuming that you and your partner have a well-equipped apartment, um, how much extra furniture do you need and what do you do with it? Oh yeah, um, it, it's usually single pieces of furniture. I like to collect. We like to collect microwaves um, or like vacuum cleaners, things that like can clearly be useful for someone oh, if they're okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Like for unhoused people moving to. Oh new yeah, of course. Like yeah. Yeah. So they usually do go pretty quickly once I, and, and this is the kind of town that has a lot of, like storage areas that people have just dedicated to collecting resources that help other community members like a free cycle situation um so that is like basically what we usually collect the pieces for okay cool cool so yeah um do you find that there are businesses in bloomington or, or wherever that that you've had experience with that uh, on purpose try to discourage dumpster diving by by trying to spoil that that food by you know cutting it open throwing stuff on it like is that something that you that you've experienced or seen yeah this is very frequent actually most grocery stores do not have an accessible dumpster most grocery stores have either a compactor or like five locks on their dumpster that means that there's no way for us to access any of the stuff. There are like ways that people have 
went around this for example like people might install their own lock on the dumpster um, so that so that the employees think that it's a lock from them but actually it's like not their lock or um one another thing that people have done is throw something that smells really bad into the dump into the compactor so they have they're forced to like like wait for it to air out with it by opening it or not using Uh it and instead throwing it into a regular dumpster where it's accessible um so there are definitely like tricks around this but it's true that a lot of times they do do their best to destroy the products um so and you um yeah that well i mean this is this is fascinating um do you, is there a difference between grocery stores and and restaurants on that? Like like are you are you also trying to harvest and reclaim po, you know post cooked food from from restaurants? Is it's that way, is that fruitful at all? Yeah, it's way more rare to get anything good out of the restaurant dumpster since they are huh. using things until they go bad. Yeah, throwing them away, and they're usually not in its initial packaging. But um, like we have a local grocery co-op that has like a deli attached to it and they make a lot of you know hot bar pre-made deli food um sometimes those are and and because it's a co-op it's more friendly to people who are trying to dumpster dive um so they'll just leave the goods the like pre-packaged food on the very top so that whoever runs by can just easily grab a whole um box of them and leave so um and not to, I don't want to like get anybody in trouble, but do you have friends or acquaintances in any the any of those businesses that give you like a little alert, like, hey, we're getting rid of this. Um, yeah. You might want to come get it. Um, I'm I'm definitely friendly with people who work at the grocery co-op for this reason. Hmm. Um, yeah, it def- but most of the time, like, it's the time for increasing staff turnovers as well. In service industry so right. it's not like we're really making prolonged friendships with any of these people so huh. um do you so i want to i want to go back to um something that you, that you started talking about and then then i think i got you on a different tangent but what like how did you find a mentor to help you with with this and and help you identify good you know and not just good food safety things, but th- these are good types of foods to look for because this is, it, it's a good type of food for the um, population that we're, that we're trying to get the food to, it stores well, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like what were, what were those tips like? And and was it someone who was dumpster diving in Bloomington or were they somewhere else? Like, how did you find yeah. that mentor? What did that all look like? It definitely is like a, um, you know, I, after I became friends with the people who were doing the Food Not Bombs initiative, we, I went out with them to dumpster dive and they like, um, my friend Ross took me to dumpster dive for the first time. And he taught me a lot about like what kind of things to look out for or, and which ones are the good dumpsters. And, um, like, um, I think after a while you, you you develop an intuition on what kind of things are worth getting and what kind of things aren't and you know like it it's the, the mentorship is definitely just like befriend these people that will take you yeah 
you know? So it, it's definitely not a very official like mentorship relationship. It's just something that's a little more difficult to get into if, you, if you've never done it before. So there's not like a course that they go to that teaches so, them how to be a dumpster uh, diver mentor. <laughs> or, or a dumpster diving internship program. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, so I, I guess, you know, and um, uh, on, on this, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, the idea of, of um, focusing on freeganism. Are, do you have anybody who in this Don and I've gotten a little bit into this just from a food safety standpoint, but do you ever have people that know what you're doing, call you up and say, Hey, there's a dead deer on route, you know, 27 that you might want to go get, um, like, like on that, like, is there a road, is there a crossover with the, the harvesting roadkill yeah. community? Is that like, how does that, I, how does that work? I think it's very cool. I am not personally equipped to handling this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because like one of the reasons why I became vegetarian and freegan was because I did not enjoy handling animals, um, like animal products. So, um, but I do have a friend who um, is within like our activist network who I know is willing to do stuff like this. Um, and he does often get caught up for this kind of stuff. And after he processes some of these roadkill animals, they, he will like share it with the rest of the community. So. Wow. Um, yeah. How does the, I'm sorry, I'm like full of so many questions here. And Don, Don you know, please, please reel me in here if I, if I need to be. Um, how, how do you find the home, the unhomed community? How does the unhomed community or unhoused community find you? Like yeah. how, how does that, how does that work? We put up a lot of posters and we have, um, I mean, once it's true, they make themselves as invisible as possible, right? Yeah. They don't want to be, they don't want to be bothered by other people and other people are not the most friendly towards them. So, um, but once you befriend one of them, they will like, it, it really is like an incredible, like, part of your local community to see that like in this area of the park that nobody has nobody ever goes to you'd go through like a secret path to find like a tent city in the back Whoa. and you like you know stuff like that and once you I, I think once you establish yourself as an organization that is friendly to them they will definitely um try to seek you out and we do at the same time this basically the same place every week so they know we exist. They and we choose Sundays to serve um, food to them, just because Sunday is a day when our local community kitchen is not open. So we're filling this other need in the community as well. Wow. Okay. So I've I got one more question um, <laughs> about about like specifically dumpster diving. Are, are there um, are there dumpster divers out there that? That, that you come across that have the means to not be dumpster diving, but and and they're impacting what's available for for you um, to to distribute to to those who who are un, unhoused. Like, is I, there are there conflicts out there at all in this? I think this is like um, uh, there is a an unspoken code between dumpster divers that if you mm. see somebody else around you just like don't engage you just like drive away and come back later 
Um, mm. But also, I think that there is just so much abundance in um, like the world of food production that even if they took up as much as they could eat, um, they, there's there will still be plenty of leftover items for other people to gather. And I mean, this is something that I think a lot about when I listen to this podcast, when Don talks about the intersection between environmentalism and food safety, right? Where I think there's a misconception that there that these two things are at odds with, with each other, but yeah. actually like to me, if you're a person with increased food safety knowledge and if the wider community has increased food safety knowledge, you would be able to rescue so much food waste um, and which is obviously way more beneficial for the community. And yeah, it, it just, the, the abundance is just so extreme right now that there's almost, um, you know, there, there's almost no way that we would just run out of food for, it, it's it, definitely the, the bottleneck of serving food to the community every week is number of people who are willing to cook um, versus the amount of food that we have available. Got it. Got it. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, and do you, Jess, is that, is that, do you think that situation, I mean, I'm asking you to speculate and you probably don't know the answer, but is this, is this something that you think is outside? Oh, sorry. My phone is ringing. Um, is this, how is this, um, how is this, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm not, I'm not using my, my mouth words. Um, is, is what you see in Bloomington true elsewhere as well? Do you think your, your experience is, is uh, typical for like the, your statements about it's the rate limiting factor is the number of people to cook? Is that, you think that's true other places besides Indiana? Um, yeah, def- definitely. The, um, I, I think it's people who are willing to engage with this practice or um, willing to, I mean, it doesn't, I, I think that like, being this type of like preventing food waste doesn't necessarily have to be dumpster diving like it could also be taking um like if you work in the restaurant industry taking your leftovers at the end of the day and giving it to to the unhoused population um and anything like that that definitely like the will to do it is generally from what i see um like all over the country to be the most limiting um factor and uh, before this I definitely worked in food industries where like I wanted to make let people take over take leftovers home like employees take leftovers home or customers or other people take you know at the end of a a day in a restaurant but like because my boss wouldn't let me it became like extremely difficult to you know do this kind of stuff just because they have their own fears of um of like whether like it's ideological or if they're just like afraid of getting sued mm-hmm. um any of those factors but in general i would definitely say that um it's more of of the people section versus the the food waste mm-hmm. availability and is there just a like a related question is there any sort of and if, and if you if you can't reveal the answer uh, cause it would compromise your, you know, your standing within the community. I, I understand, but is there any sort of uh, official, like, do you guys talk to each other? Like, do you network in different communities to give each other tips or is it, or is it kind of a, everybody does their own thing and sticks to their, you know, their hometown and, and there isn't, I'm just wondering, is there like some sort of network of people um, <laughs> around the country that are working on this? I don't 
think dumpster diving specifically is what they yeah. coalesce around. I think they're mostly just like local activists that are right. interested in various environmental activism, various yeah. um, social activism that they also happen to do this. But I will say that a lot of times I, I like recently I found tons and tons of TikTok accounts that are showing people what dumpster diving is like oh, cool. and how like there are just endless variety of items that you could just get that are perfectly usable in, in you know outside of food there are definitely other objects that they can be taking right yeah so th- that's definitely also an interesting way that i've seen people proselytize this so cool very cool yeah this is this is i mean this is fascinating um and like I said, I don't think either Don or I have ever had a chance to, to to really interact with someone who's got this kind of knowledge and experience. And so this is it's really it's really helpful. Um, what? <clears throat> and and again, this is maybe too big of a question, or maybe not. But what can like what can Don and I do? to help with this? Like, what can we do <clears throat> as people that focus on food safety as part of our job and we're in this community of, of food safety that might be putting up barriers for, for this, what can we do to help our colleagues understand what, you know, what, what's, what's happening and, and that in, that food safety is a is, is a thought in this process already that that shouldn't be like a you know dumpster that the immediate ner- knee jerk reaction of dumpster diving is bad because because food safety right like what can we do to help with this? Yeah, I mean, I personally think y'all are doing like a great service for people who do this just because um, you're answering so many questions about edge cases that. Um, other people wouldn't usually consider. For example, like the fact that I can just call up Don and ask whether it's safe to what is the best way for me to store this like three, this 27 pounds of feta cheese (laughs) that I get from, you know, dumpster diving, like that in itself is like very incredible. And, And providing people with the understanding that like the laws around food safety are not necessarily 100% reflective of, you know, the real world consequences that food safety has. Um, I think that's great. Just general acknowledgement that this is a thing that people will engage in, whether you, um, they're doing it in my capacity or just doing it out of like necessity. Like if you're someone who simply can't afford to get food in other ways, um, yeah, just I, I think a lot of it, uh, the first step is just to have an awareness that this is something that is happening. It needs to be within the calculations of people who are creating policies around it. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like raw milk Amsterdam, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like we we don't want to tell people what to do. We we got to realize what they're doing and then we want to we want to try to help them. And the the other thing too that I'll mention Ben cuz I keep flashing back to I've had some really really nice conversations with uh Sarah uh, Elnakib who is a family and community health science educator in New Jersey and she's been just she's really just a wonderful dynamic individual uh assistant professor 
or you know, assistant professor equivalent, strongly on on the way to uh, to tenure, just doing great work. And she's been doing a lot of work around working with health inspectors as a way to reach restaurants. Uh, and, and supermarkets on the topic of expired food and, and, and really trying to re-educate people that guess what? Expired food is not, um, not a bad thing and, and getting them to donate it to, um, to, to uh, soup kitchens. Right. Um, now, obviously given Jess's comments about like, that's the best place to go dumpster diving. Clearly um, the, the soup kitchens themselves need to be educated about, you know, using uh, expired food and when it's okay and, and when it's not. But I just, it's just, it's really interesting. Like this is a topic that has just sort of just continues. It's like the universe is trying to tell me something, right? The universe is trying to tell me, hey, look, you need to pay attention to this stuff. Uh, there's people working on this stuff. And yeah, it's great to hear Jess that, that what we the silly stuff that we do here and on our other podcast can, can be helpful. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And I really, yeah, I really appreciate the good, the good hard questions that really, that really make us think like what to do with uh, 27 pounds of unrefrigerated feta. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, a couple of things come to mind. One, we, we did some research. Um, gosh, I mean, it's gotta be like eight or nine years ago now with, food banks, and I've talked with Don about this in, in the past, but it doesn't surprise me that that um, food banks and food pantries would be the, you know, one of the best places to find just a bevy of food be because one of the things that was reported to us when we interviewed um, the managers, you know, and I'll put that in Richard Fingers, but, you know, the, the organizers of a, of a informal food pantry to um, those who are running the very formalized food banks is that there was a perception within their internal teams of not wanting for for really like dignity and equity reasons not if if this was expired food that I wouldn't eat in my home then I didn't want to provide expired food to um to a, a community that needs it because we should be, we should be focused on giving them unexpired food. If you know, if that makes sense, like it, it was, it's, it wasn't, wasn't about risk. It was about the, the, the perception of we, we don't want the, the communities that we're serving to feel like second-class citizens because we're giving them our, our cast-offs, which is that that's a challenge, right? Like I think the, what, what we, you know, what Don and I try to talk about is, is the difference between quality and safety and and even the parameters for quality don't automatically change the you know 30 seconds past midnight on that you know that day of of uh, best before or use by and I, that, I think that's a challenge that we're gonna constantly fight but it doesn't surprise me at all that that that's that's the place that you're that you're finding stuff because of the the, what we heard when we interviewed people. Yeah. And I think that the food banks themselves are um, like, they're, they, they obviously need a lot of in, in, like food given to them, but they are usually not um, in, they're not missing the stuff that they're throwing out. Right. Yeah. Like they yeah. have enough abundance that they don't require save scrimping and saving these like small items. So yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Um, uh, so, um, what I guess going back to 
the the question that you would reach out to me about and just sort of ex, like expanding on this conversation about um, marginalized populations and cottage food laws and and just the potential for inequities um that that exist and and I, I you know let's let's jump in let's jump into that that issue so tell tell us a little bit more um about the type of advocacy and um that you're doing in in that area and and what what where are you seeing challenges um in the specifically with the regulation of ethnic foods in um in those in those communities yeah, so I help run a local farmer's market called El Mercado that um, works with um, ethnic vendors to like sell whatever product that they're making. And one of the issues that we ran into was um, an unwillingness by our um, health department to accept um, ethnic foods that have similar risk to um, non-ethnic foods that are able to be produced under cottage food laws. So for example, baked goods, um, usually considered okay to sell without a food license, um, without a commercial kitchen license. Um, yeah. So, but many other baked goods that are ethnic are not in the specific list of items that they have outlined on their website or whatever, you know, so, one of the issues that I personally ran into was I want to make and sell chili crisp, which is an ex extremely low water activity kind of sauce. But because the sauce in contains garlic, um, they categorized it in the same category as garlic and oil, which is an ex obviously has risk for botulism, um, just because it's the closest equivalent for that food product in their list. Um, so, which made it really difficult for us to sort of move with, you know. And then similarly, like um, there was a vendor that was selling like Asian buns with like red bean paste filling in it, which functionally is pretty equivalent to a baked good, um, right? So, but she was unable to sell her products under cottage food laws either because they, um, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it, it well, was just a very frustrating situation. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I'll, um, I, I, I worked with a, um, a local business here in Raleigh, um, on a, a similar, I guess, challenge around like chili crisp. Um, and, and the, the, one of the, one of the other things that I'll that I'll add into the to the mix here in some states, the the line between what agency regulates that product is it becomes really messy too, and and the the technical background of the individuals that would approve or allow for the sale of that product, whether it's direct consumer or not um it becomes it, be, it becomes a challenge and i think it's it's only going to get worse post um i shouldn't say post but as we get to um it, 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 over the last couple of years we've seen a a, a large 
portion of turnover within the world of public health as well in, as those service industries that we talked about before. So some of the, the individuals um, who, who have been more familiar with um, talking about these these products or assessing them have are have now moved on to to other jobs or left public health or or agricultural and food agencies altogether, and so I, I think you bring up like just a really, I think it's a really big challenge. I don't think we have a good answer for it, right. Like it's easy, and I I, I just I love the way that, that you approach this, which is like okay, here are all the foods that we that are easily recognizable that are on the list of things that are allowed, right? But there's a ton of other foods that just are not on this list. So by assumption, we have to make it so it's not allowed. And now you've got to prove why it should be allowed or why it's analogous to something that is on the list. And that places really an undue burden on that business, especially especially in a situation where it's it's an it's an ethnic food a traditional food that that probably is is just as low risk as as those others but the you know easily recognizable american foods are already on the list so we don't have to do the the work to get it there and and i don't have a good like i don't have a good answer for this i i think that there there's a lot of challenges i mean ultimately what would be great and I, i'm not going to um, we won't throw our our colleagues at Purdue fully under the bus, but it but it'd be great if if you if you could work with someone at Purdue that could help navigate that system, and then that they could be advocates through um, through the regulatory world. And I know that like Don and I do that in our own states, um, so it's not out of the out of the question for for others to do that. But it but it also takes um, time and. And just a recognition that that it's important for someone to step into that that area. Yeah, I, I think um it's not only I mean, I just remember y'all talking about that a, a cookbook that was specifically made so that every aspect um perfectly aligned with cottage food law, so that if you were to want to sell cookies, you should yeah. just use the recipe within this existing cookbook. And that's just like extremely limiting, even within these. Yep. items to you know be able to be creative culinarily in any way and I, I do think that currently the only way um is to sort of have better access to um advocates within extension programs that are able to help these communities like and you know an outreach from them to those perhaps more underserved communities um, as opposed to having these barriers for even seeking out someone who would be able to assist them. So in, in yeah, your, just, oh, sorry, just, yeah, go ahead, Don. To, uh, yeah, just to, to follow up on the, the Texas uh, cookbook, like this was a project done by, I'm going to guess, a white lady in Texas who wanted to do the foods that she's familiar with making. But but what they what they did was they went and they made all these recipes and then they had the pH and water activity tested, right? And so what's needed is we need the resources to go out and do like uh, like the, you know, authentic uh, Hispanic Texas cottage food law cookbook, right? It's, yeah. It's probably, it's probably not going to be this white lady that does it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's, maybe if, if she, you know, I don't think she listens to the podcast, but, but I mean, that that's what they, well, that's what she did, right? She went out and she had these recipes tested for pH and water activity. And then, and then she put out the cookbook, she sells the cookbooks, right? And so it's, uh, which, which I, which I, I paid for with, <laughs> with my hard earned 
uh, money and <laughs> work. And uh, yeah, and and I, I mean, I have I have you know digital copies, um, but but you know you should buy your own. Um, but uh, uh, we could do that. Like it wouldn't yeah. be. And this again, we're not doing we're not doing challenge studies, right? Challenge studies is 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 a whole nother level of complexity and cost thousands of dollars. It's not it's not that expensive to do a pH and a water activity measurement, right? And so this could be done. This and this again would be a perfect example of where if we got not a whole lot of money from a USDA um, uh, NIFA to do something like this, right? It would be relatively easy to do, I think. Right. Well, agreed. And I, and I think that it, it comes down to just, uh, you know, systemic inequities where I think in, in extension, we've done a pretty good job supporting our, um, you know, white communities with a lot of, a lot of different things. Right. And, and I think it's, it's important for us in the food world to think about it in a way of, you know, there might've been a little bit of money from, from a state agency or from internal dollars to start this. What we really need to do is replicate this for, for other types of, of communities who, who are important members of our, of our overall community and, and that we need to support. And it's going to be like, it's going to be harder, right? You know, and not, not, just because of our familiarity, right? Like, like I, I, I grew up in a family where there's a lot of lemon meringue pie. So I have a good sense of what that looks like. I didn't grow up in a family where empanadas were, were made. And, and so I need at me and I think us like, like Don and, and all of our colleagues are in this world. We need to be able to step out and say, I'm not familiar with this. I'm going to do a little bit of legwork to understand exactly what this means and and I'm going to become more comfortable with trying to answer this question as opposed to the that that response of I don't actually know what that food is so it's probably just easier for me to say I I know right like right like that's that's what we that's the barrier we've got to overcome here within within our own community of food safety folks in an extension and I I don't want to like I, I, Hope I don't sound too preachy about that because I think there are lots of people that are doing this, but I think in in general it, it becomes a barrier that we that we need to like actively fight against. Um, Ooh, you got fired up. I did. I got fired up. Yeah. Well, and and so so Jess, let me let me ask you a question. Have you have you talked to um, any local or state regulators about this? Like, will they will they take your call even? I, um, about it. Um, uh, unfortunately, I have not been able to pursue this project particularly rigorously since we discussed it before. Um, I think one of the solutions that we came up with was um, uh, one of our local community centers began the process of creating a commercial kitchen that can be rented for very cheap or for in exchange for labor for like volunteering at the community center. Um, and having access to a place like this and allowing our vendors to create their food products in a commercial kitchen space um, was for us the easiest way of overcoming these barriers. So that was the solution for many of them. I personally did not um, 
my my making chili crisp thing just kind of fizzled out because of this barrier but it's definitely not like my primary source of income or anything so it wasn't that big of a deal um but for us the easiest thing to do was just to find accessible um, yeah. kitchen space yeah which is kind of like the uh, like a workaround right like it's it's a not not in a bad way it doesn't solve the problem but it it can provide a way for those who can access that space a place to move to move forward but it doesn't um you know they're they're going to be there'll be there'll be individuals who 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 just can't make that work based on the constraints of the of the space and timing and and all that i yeah so anyway i'm i like don's right i am fired up and i kind of feel bad that that Jess, you and I never followed up on this because I'd really like to figure out a way for our group to support something like this in like specifically in Indiana and here in North Carolina. Um, we, we've we got a, I don't know if I shared this with Dawn at all, but we have a project over the next few months of creating some standard operating procedures for food recovery pre, like th this would be like, donations from grocery stores or from restaurants to food pantries um, because we've got a kind of patchwork approach across our state and it really lies in the local interpretation of the uh, of our regulations and what they deem as as safe and unsafe and so we were kind of tasked by um, a group here in our state to to help write some standardized like parameters on what everybody should be thinking about and looking at. But I, I think that that same group that we're sort of tapping into would be really interested in the, in the challenges that you have. Cause I'm sure that we've, I'm sure I just like, haven't been exposed to it here in the same way that you brought it to our attention, but I'm, I'm sure we're struggling with the exact same issue. So anyway, I'd like to I'd really like to, to figure out a way to support this. And, well, and yeah. You know, and yeah, and I'll say, Ben. You know, we one thing that we we can do is maybe um, hook you up with with Sarah Elnakib, who I mentioned before, is kind of leading this effort in New Jersey. She's a young person, younger than us, younger than you and I, and has a lot of energy. And uh, I mean, this she's looking for like the next big challenge for her, and so we should maybe encourage her to write. Um, you know, a federal grant and and put some resources behind this, and we should figure out who the appropriate person is at Purdue uh, to, to to loop in uh, Indiana, and then you know we'll need we'll need a, like a steering committee of people like Jess to you know give us advice as to like how to yeah. make this work in the real world. I mean, I think I mean, and I know you're like fully tapped out right with being department chair and 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 all the other stuff that you're already you're already leading one grant already. But I think finding you know if we can convince Sarah to lead this effort or find another somebody at Purdue that that has some some bandwidth to to write a grant to do this. I mean, this is. Yeah, like I said, the universe is telling us something, right? Like we yeah. need to be working on this. And and there and I think there really are there are examples of low-hanging fruit in this area where we could come in with not a lot of money and not a huge amount of effort and really make a difference, you know, which is like why why not do this? Right, right. Exactly. And 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 let's make it okay for our colleagues as food safety specialists in other states to also jump into this world, right? Like I, and I think one of the things that, that we struggle with is that there's, um, 
something like this is, a, a, it's, it's like unconventional, right? So it, for newer faculty members, it, it's, it's a risk, right? Like you don't want to be out there putting, not, not sure how some of the traditional food safety folks would address this and how they would look at it. So we have to be really like thoughtful on how we, how we support those, um, those, uh, you know, newer faculty members who, who could really make a difference in this too. This yeah. Anyway, Jess, thanks. I mean, and first of all, thanks for, um, for joining us today and for answering all of our maybe like super basic questions and, and our, our just excitement around these topics. Cause like, like I said earlier, we just, we've never really had a chance to talk to someone in depth about what the, what the situations are and what the, what the challenges are. And, and then, to, you know, talk out a little bit about how, how we could be part of a, um, a solution or at least advancing this, this it's, we just, I, I appreciate your time. I know Don does as well, just joining us today and, and being, um, being part of the discussion. This is really cool. Yeah, I'm glad to be on this podcast. It's definitely one that I personally really admire as, as you know, a mission that y'all are doing. Um, yeah, and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I have one question. Yeah, um, well, we're here for questions. Okay. So and I send you a meme that I made about the podcast to use as the photo, the picture. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. No, the, yeah, uh, that would be great. Um, that would, yeah, that would be awesome. Definitely. Um, do you, do you have any other, do you have any other questions? Anything else we could, we're on, we're here, we're on the line. We can answer all your food safety questions. Yeah. I mean, would you, would you like to do any other work for on the production of the podcast? Would you like <laughs> yeah. to edit it? Would you like to put, to post the show notes? Uh, no, but seriously. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. The meme yeah. is wonderful. Do you have 27 pounds of unrefrigerated cheddar that you'd like us to make an assessment on or, um, anything like that? Yeah, right now, well, okay, so right now there's a lot of cheese in my freezer. It's mostly, there's two boxes of Belgioso fresh mozzarella. Like, oh, yeah. box has like 40 individual like balls of mozzarella. That's like the main, main thing in my possession right now. But I'm, I'm wow. keeping it frozen. So hopefully it'll be fine for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're you're doing exactly what we would suggest on keeping that as as safe as possible. I am a um, full full disclosure. I I often purchase the uh, Belgioso fresh mozzarella um, to make my uh, caprese salads with, and I um, will. I, I would say that about 15 minutes before the podcast, I consume some of that exact cheese. Um, so yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I'll, we'll just, you know, keep this, this out there. Just anytime you have any questions for us, you know, that you want us to answer just quickly or something for risky or not, please, uh, please don't um, apologize or not, please don't uh, hesitate to, to reach out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Also, um, I would like to mention that I got a, a Thermopen for Christmas. Um, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> Excellent. Um, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, everybody who's listening, you should go buy some coffee from my coffee shop. That's yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Um, 
a hopscotch coffee shop in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Go, go make a trip there. Go, go this um, unofficially, this episode was brought to you by that, uh, <laughs> by that business. And we're happy to promote it. So, yeah. And, and, and also, and also uh, by the discord, right? So now I, I see you put a, a link in the chat, Jess, is that for people that want to join the discord? No, it's a picture to the oh. meme. I mean, Oh, with picture. Oh, so sorry. Oh, well, never mind. Forget about that. Don't join the discord. You're not welcome. Oh, so I, I have a question for you though. Seriously is how, if people have heard about the Discord and they would like to join, is is that possible, or do they have to know somebody? How does that work? Um, you have to know somebody, but I if you just like message me on Twitter at not okay. Jesse Tang. I don't use Twitter very often, but I am fine fielding um, people through my Twitter mention my tw- my Twitter DMs for joining the Discord. Cool. Oh. And that and and I'll say too, like uh like don't mess around with these people on the Discord, man. They are <laughs> you, you better toe the line. I sometimes I get a little scared um how good the moderators are. They're not afraid to ban people. Boy, they're yeah. So just uh show up and, and come correct. <laughs> Savage is it. <laughs> Great. Um well. I, again, Jess, thanks, thanks so much for for joining us today. I think that I, I mean, I think that's a show. This is, it's just always wonderful. First of all, I feel better about my twenty questions for guests. That was good uh, today. But but secondly, I just appreciate you you spending time with us and and sharing your thoughts. This was this was really really cool today. Dawn, is there anything else you want to want to add? No, I just hope I figure out how to get this meme. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to do it on my phone. Oh, but I can't do it. I, actually, oh, I can paste the link. Oh, I got oh, it. First I, link was incorrect. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I got, I found it. It's, it's, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. We will, we will definitely use this for, for show art uh, t- today um, on, on today's show. So yeah, again, um, thanks. Thanks a lot. And uh, Jess, uh, we, we appreciate you uh, being engaged with us and uh all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk soon and uh, and follow up. All right. Bye. Bye.
Oh dear. See, I awkwardly end every episode. That was awesome. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were, that, that was, that was phenomenal. And, and again, thanks, thanks for what all of the things that you do, but just being able to, um, to chat through us, chat about what you do with us. Um, it was so, it was so great. Yeah. I, I'm very honored to be on the podcast. It's, it, it's cool. It, it's, it's an exciting moment for me. So. <laughs> I, I hope you have other higher aspirations than joining us on our <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> but no that was the yeah no that was awesome thanks so much all right should i leave y'all to the to the after show yeah we we probably we just need to schedule you're you're welcome to join us and 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 chat uh as we schedule but that's all all we have kind of that's all we have left all right all right thanks i will leave now all right okay thanks yes bye oh that was awesome yes good job oh man yeah yes they were wonderful yeah um all right so i captured um a couple oh where did it go i have a draft of what i think we should use for the title um which is because i i did not capture any titles but i did get all the the show notes i captured two and i think the first one that i got is the one we're going to go with which is crunchy granola crunchy granola hippie town I that I liked I I did hear her say or they them say that and that that is yes that's yeah. fantastic. The other one that I that I captured was Dead Deer on Route 27, which <laughs> I I feel like is a great show title, but I don't think we would. Well, I guess we already have our show art. I didn't want to think about what I would use for a picture for that for show so, art, right? Yeah, uh, but yeah, Crunchy Granola Hippie Town is what, what, what I think we'll go with. Um, cool. Okay, so let's take a look. Yeah. So let me. Uh, let me just save this show notes. And I wasn't sure what we were doing. So I put a, I populated the podcast folder with a whole bunch of things to talk about, but they're yeah, evergreen. We, well, and we, we need to not have guests, uh, <laughs> uh, at least to, for the next episode, because we got a lot to get to. So. We got, felt, yeah, we got um, to do. Okay. So what about. What about February 16th? And I'm that is a very nice looking day for me. Okay. I would be available um before uh in between 10:30 and 1:30. Perfect. Let's do let's do 10:30. Perfect. Done. We're getting good at this. Um did you, so just as follow-up for another guest, did you ever get your cookbook from LD Sledge? I did not. I wonder if they but it, but it, I mean, it could, did, but it could have gone to work and I haven't been to work in a while. So true. Give them the work address, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever well, get yours? I got mine. Yeah. I, they okay. sent it to my house. Okay. Um, yeah. I, they may have not sent they may think that we're the same person. Could they be. may not really know what's going on. They don't really seem to be very organized. So, and have you sent any follow-ups? I mean, are they, no. are they, are they handing you? Nope. Yeah. Nope. But I, it's on my, like, um, it, it, it's on my omnifocus of follow okay. up with, with Dawn to schedule that. So I think, Oh yeah. We, I think what we do though, hopefully, hopefully you get it. If not, 
I oh, no, don't this. let's let's not let's don't wait for me to get the cookbook. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I think here's what we do. Despite my what I said about not scheduling any guests, I said I what I suggest that you do is every time that we have a new episode, you just send either him or the publicist the 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 time and okay. the date. And yeah. and he, and he, either he shows up, he does. If he doesn't show up, he does. He doesn't show we up. And show. We just we just we just got a show. So yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I but don't, but yeah, don't, don't, but don't, but don't wait for me to get a cookbook. That's okay. I don't think I'm, I don't think it's coming. Right. I and will. So, and, and, and you, and, you, and that's, and yeah. you're, that's your area of expertise anyway, is cookbooks, yeah. right? Like, and, and stuff. So I'll leave that safely to you. And then I'll just, I'll just show up to, you know, whatever to, 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 to heckle. How, yes. how, how, how good is the cookbook, by the way? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's like a cookbook that you would see that came from like a church group. Oh, um, excellent. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the, if that's, uh, that's the, that, that, that's kind of the, I was, I was wondering is like, what is the, how is the quality? Yeah. That's not, I, I was hoping it was a little more polished, but that's not, that's absolutely not surprising. And it's, it's very consistent with everything that we know about these, this, 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 this these guys so far. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 Um, they'll never listen to this no no they won't they won't at all um cool all right i think uh i think we're good to go i will uh um i'll try and edit this tomorrow i think i just posted the last one last week right uh or no maybe i don't know when it was when did we have casey on was that last week no that was two weeks ago yeah so i'll i might 20, i might 21st we yeah we recorded with him yeah. and then i think i posted it on the 30 30th or 29th or something 28th 26th i was just looking at it mm -hmm. all right cool um oh i think i think we've uh our other podcast has lapped this podcast like what what do you mean like we're like the numbers are higher oh yeah yeah the numbers are way what but we do three a week on that one no, I know, but I just was, I was not, I was not, uh, yeah, I'm just like two, 255, right? No, 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 it was a two, uh, what's the, yeah, two, uh, what is it, 256, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a, that's a, that's, I made a joke about that. Yeah, we just recorded, this was 255, and right. then risky or not, yeah, two, 256, right? Um, I don't know, something like that. I could look. That's okay uh number 258 yeah so I, yeah because i just i i just i remember i made a i made a 256 com computer nerd yeah. joke about binary numbers Bi yeah zero one zero ones um cool uh sam is very excited that oh, about the snow yes episode? He, he asked me yesterday he came home from school and he said i see that reusing boxed fish fry stored at room temperature was your last episode i was like yes that is correct he said when will my snow episode be <laughs> and i i told him i said i re we recorded it today um and it will be coming forthcoming soon but they don't go right away he goes okay you just gotta let me know and i was like don't worry you'll be the first to know when it is posted so yeah, he's very excited. Yeah, well, and and actually, a little bit of insider baseball. The the Libsyn links actually go live as soon as I upload them. Wow. So yeah, if you know, and the URL is easy to guess because it's just mm. the same thing every time in the number increments. And so I think 
I think I haven't I haven't posted this. I've got I'm still missing a couple on Square the last two on Squarespace, but I think it might actually be up on. Uh, let me get over here. Oops, and um, look for yeah. Lib. Whoops. Nope. Lib. Whoops. Oops. Are you still there? I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm just um. Oh, okay. I just yawned. Sorry. Not okay. not not out of my, my watch beeped and then I didn't hear you say anything. So no. Um, um yes, uh Sam's plowed snow and ice is gonna is gonna drop on February 9th. Um, but I think the URL should be active right now. Okay. I might give him a little insight on that. And it's episode 261, which you would need to know to get it. Excellent. 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 Cool. All right. I will uh talk to you at some point in the future. I think that's you're probably correct. I mean, when, if, if if we don't talk again in the future, something horrible has gone horribly wrong for one of us. That would be bad. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That would be that would be very bad. All right. Cool. Oh, oh and spe okay. speaking of the episode with Sam, I did leave in a I did put in a little bit of after show, but okay. uh because but I don't think it was anything that he would object to. Oh, I'm you know, totally listening fine. to it was it was yeah, just a, it's the last little snippet there. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I no, I trust, I trust that that whatever whatever we said was was totally fine. Um, cool. All right, I will. Uh, I'll I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye.